Good morning, church. Warm Christmas greetings from Slovakia. You know what? This place is feeling like home, and we're really great to be with you this morning. Now, we've been in Slovakia for two years and, and four months. After spending 24 years in Africa, in, in Kenya and Ethiopia, you know, Kenya, Ethiopia, no snow, no winter, no shoveling the driveways, and now we're in Slovakia. Just a quick geographic lesson. You can see where Slo uh, Slovakia is in, in Central Europe. You can see who our neighbors are. You can see to the east we border on the country of Ukraine. And so that's where we are in that hotspot in that part of the world. And we went there to work with the Apostolic Church in Slovakia, a group of 50 churches and a bunch of preaching points. Uh, the Apostolic Church is the, uh, the largest evangelical church in the country. And uh, Slovakia is, 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 is a post-communist, post-Christian, nominally Roman Catholic country. It is a hard place for the gospel. Missiologists tell us that probably about 1% of the population would be of the born-again variety. And, and missiologists tell us that in order to be considered a rich country, at least 2% of the population should be born again. So you can see Slovakia, like so much of Europe, is an unreached country for the gospel. But there we are, and we went there primarily to work at the Bible College for the Apostolic Church Gateway College. I went there to, to uh, develop a leadership program for the church. And so I've developed it, I directed, I teach in the, the leadership program known as the Leadership Academy. It's a one-year program. And uh, so there we are at, at the college. And uh, you can see, whoops, some of the, our students, our graduates, uh, there was a, there you can see some of the teachers that work in the school. <laughs> Slovakia is full of surprises. Did you notice that? It's full of surprises. <laughs> but these are some of our, our graduates, some of the wonderful people we work with. These, this picture here, this is the graduates last year from the Leadership Academy. This year in the Leadership Academy, I have students from Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovenia. And, uh, and in our home church, the Bible school is in the church, and this is part of the pastoral team. It's one church with four campuses, and these are some of the people we work with. We love the people we work with. We love their passion for the gospel and church planting. And talking about church planting, uh, as many of you know, we are also involved in a a church plant in Budapest. Budapest is the capital of Hungary. Budapest is two and a half hours from where we live. And we go there, we are part of the, uh, Lynn is part of the preaching rota. Uh, we do a weekly online Bible study for the church. They have an internship program. We're involved in teaching in the internship program. We mentor several people in the church and, and we love the work that we do in Hungary as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now you know why I brought her up here with me. 
Um, this two weeks ago, last Sunday rather, in our church in Budapest, we began two services indicative of the growth that is taking place in this church in Budapest. We just love, we marvel what God is doing in that church in Budapest. So besides in the Bible school, one of the other things that's happening that is really remarkable is uh, in Slovakia, in the apostolic churches, there are no women pastors. For the most part, they are forbidden. And then along comes Reverend Lynn Coles. What is remarkable about that is suddenly churches all across the country are inviting Lynn to come and to preach. And uh, Lynn is opening the door, is opening the door for women in ministry in Slovakia. For up to this point, half of God's duet has largely been silenced in the churches in Slovakia. And suddenly Lynn is preaching, she's being invited, we're being invited back even the second time to these churches. So what happens on a typical Sunday, Lynn will come in, she will preach, and then in the afternoon, I gather the, lead, the, the church's leadership team together, and we'll spend time talking about leadership and encouraging and trying to inspire the leaders of the churches across Slovakia. And so that's one of the really exciting things that we are doing there. And then there's Ukraine, oh my. As you saw, we're a neighbor with Ukraine, and so much is happening. And I'm going to ask Lynn to, to tell us what we are doing and what the churches in Slovakia are doing when it comes to responding to the crisis in Ukraine. But before she comes, at the Bible school in Slovakia, everybody's a volunteer. Everybody is part-time. Money is really difficult to come by for the Bible school. And so I have come home with a Christmas shopping list for the Bible school. And if you are interested in Slovakia or Eastern Europe, and you have money to invest in training the next generation of leaders, see me after the service because I have the shopping list here. You were wondering what you were going to buy for Christmas? I have the answer for you right here. And so see me after the service, and Lynn, tell us about Ukraine. So just briefly, uh, we are five and a half hours from the border, and I would have to say that many people in Slovakia are getting weary, just like all, the whole world is, of, of this war. We're weary of it, and it's just escalating. As you know, Russia blitzed again this week, and many cities have no power, and it's, it's just a genocide that's going on there. And, you know, every single day since the war started, 2,000 refugees have crossed into Slovakia. Every single day. Now, not all of them have stayed. The latest count is about 105,000 have stayed in Slovakia. And we're a, a small country of 5 million and a poor country, and we've been struggling. But I want to tell you the church is not getting weary of helping. And we have been helping our churches, have been setting up community centers. They have been um, uh, gathering supplies. They have been helping people who've come out. They've been helping people get out. They've also been going in and taking things 
two people into some of the most unusual places. Sorry, I'm not getting this to work really well. Um, yeah, they've even been going in by boat into places that were cut off, and they are telling us that the, the, the conditions they find people in are just deplorable. And people say with tears in their eyes, that you're still coming, and that you came today. You have no idea what today was looking like. And we are so proud of our churches. We, we help a church in Lviv to host refugees during their transit out. We help a church in Zaitomer, Kiev, to feed those hiding in shelters. We help a pastor in Poltava to minister to and help refugees that are fleeing the war zone. We have sent as a mission 20 tons of food and supplies. Our church in Budapest is doing the same. The church in Košice is going in two to four times a, a week. Uh, our church in Bratislava sent a team in recently while they were being bombed. They prayed, stopped and prayed and said, we're going anyway. I mean, it's just unbelievable how they're stepping up. They are setting up community centers, teaching the women that are fleeing how to speak Slovak, helping them to get jobs, looking after the children, and specifically really working with the moms and children. As you know, that's who have been separated from their families. And if I can put one face in front of you, um, if I can, <laughs> normally I can. <laughs> one more. This is, I want to put these faces in front of you. So on the left there at the top is a family that stayed in our home last time we were here. And they are Slovak missionaries who came out really quickly when the war started. Robert and Ivanka and their son, and they went back recently and are in a shelter with their young son who, who happens to be autistic. So there's a lot of stuff going on for them. But they keep writing and saying, we get to be here. We get to be here. And they've been raising money for generators and, you know, light bulbs and all the things that, that are currently on the top list of things needed in Ukraine to help these people get through the cold winter. So you can pray for Robert and Ivanka. And then the young woman on the left with her two children is living with us right now. Her name is Tanya, and that is Katya and Stash. And she has been through a crazy time just before the war started. She went through a very difficult divorce. So on top of everything, the kids were traumatized by that. And then the war hit. And then mommy takes off with them to a country where no one speaks their language. And they were put in one room with one bed. And they're sharing a kitchen with eight families. It's been difficult. And the kids have been reacting. And recently, she took them back to see their grandma, who they're missing and crying for. And she said, don't worry. Our town's fine. It was bombed right away. And they, they bombed the airport. We're going to be fine. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? Anyway, she went back and didn't. That was the day that Zelensky called the G20, the G19. Do you remember that day? And Russia responded by bombing their town. And they arrived to all the bombs and the air raids, and it was just a nightmare. <sighs> but they're back home. They're safe and enjoying the space in our place. And uh, I just want you to know that there are many people, families separated this Christmas, struggling to know what to do in this crazy time of war. But we get to be there. We get to help. 
And I'm grateful to the Lord for the proximity that we have even to this war. And so, you know, pray for us, pray for our churches, that they will not grow weary in doing good, and that we can make a difference. And let's pray for the end to the war in Ukraine. Amen. Isaiah 7, verse 10 to 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. But then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Matthew ten eighteen to 25. And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. But all this... All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. Well, thank you for reading the scripture that we are actually going to focus on this morning. But I want to say, first of all, and I wanted to say when I first came up, it's so good to be here. We have been watching online, but you know, I, I read somewhere recently that you can, you can watch a fire online, but you can't get warm. And today I feel warm. You know, you can do church at home, but you can't be the church at home because, you know, nobody's in your way and you don't get to forgive them and grow impatient. You know what I'm saying? Not that that's the only thing we do church with, but you don't get to love on each other and, and prove that the love of God is in you. Amen. And it's so good to be here. And David, you sound great in person. It was amazing this morning. Thank you. And uh, last week I got to listen to Katrina. Is she here today or is she downstairs already? What a masterful treatment of the story of Mary, right? And I thought, well, no pressure there. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm just so glad to be here and to be in the congregation to hear you. You know, online you can hear the guys up here, but you can't hear you. So I'm so glad to be here, and especially to be here with our family, with Daryl and Crystal and the girls, and happy birthday, Hannah. Where did Hannah go? It's her birthday. There she goes. <laughs> glad to be here for a family birthday. I mean, it's all good today. <laughs> I feel good. Hey, I don't know. How many of you have ever had a gun pulled on you? I, I never have. 
But police officers say that the negative impact on your emotions causes a dramatic limited field of vision and your focus goes on the gun. And afterwards, when you're trying to tell the police officer what happened, you can describe the gun better than the face of the person holding it. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was quite fascinating. The field of vision narrows, negative emotions take over, and you lose your focus of the big picture. And you go into fight or flight, right? I got to get me out of here, or I got to take you out of here. Uh, it's, you know, we follow those to the end results, and neither of those are good. I got to get out of here, or I got to get you out of here. And there don't seem to be any other options. There's like two options, that's it, fight or flight. We're looking at a guy this morning in the story, a significant person who had a gun barrel moment. And his field of vision limited. And he entered a time of intense personal suffering before a messenger from God showed up and helped him widen his field of vision, soften his heart to a plan he would never have thought of in his fight or flight. And it forever changed his name for God. And it forever changed his name in the community. It changed the direction of his life. It's Mary's husband, the Joseph of Advent, the one that the father entrusted to give his son to. And you will be called my son's father. What a name he got. (laughs) And thank you again for reading our scripture. But let me just put it up there for us for a moment so that you can be reminded. And here he is, Joseph of Advent. And yes, I searched hard to find a pic. This is not a real picture. You understand that, right? Um, This is from the Nativity story. But I loved this one because Joseph is alone with the baby. He gets to hold the Messiah and raise him. I just love that picture from there. So this is what we just read. And in the, in the Bible, it's not an inspired title, but it's a good one. Jesus accepts, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. That's huge. Uh, but, but what I, I want to point out, and we're going to dwell on this for a little while, is this crazy gap. You know, here comes Mary, and then it says after he had considered this, might have to depress that for me. This is not working very well. There's this gap. You know, when the angel comes to Mary, it's before the event, isn't it? And so, by the way, this is what's going to happen. And Mary goes to, from how can this be to let it be in one conversation. Apparently, Joseph wouldn't have moved that fast. <laughs> It's interesting, I saw on Facebook yesterday somebody posted, why is it that all the men in the Christmas story are silent? Zechariah, is, his voice is taken from him. We don't have a word out of Joseph. We, we don't have a word out of him. Here they are, uh, crucial characters in the meta-narrative of salvation, and there's not a word. 
perhaps because they've, they've been given the, the natural ability to think and process and do this stuff, and, and they're relying on that. And God allows them to go to where they've always relied and, and work with their intuition and work with their, their knowledge and their faithfulness and their righteousness. And then he has to come along and say, oh, there's a third option. <laughs> I don't know. I want to talk about the gap a little bit more just now. Yes, you're going to have to press that because this is not working for me. And this is what we just read. And I love at the end that it says he gave him the name Jesus. Fathers were to name their sons. I want to talk about who Joseph was before this event. He was a righteous man. That's what we know. We know that he was just. We know that he was noble. These are different terms that the various um, translations give for him. And, and Matthew is writing to the Jews to prove to them that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that his birth, life, death, and resurrection fulfilled all the prophecies that they loved and cherished. And he is proving to them that even the man that God chose to be the earthly father of his son came from the house of David. So we know he's from the house of David, from the royal lineage. But apart from that, what we, the, all we know is he was a carpenter. Jesus is called a carpenter's son. Uh, I remember talking to, to Daryl uh, when I was going to preach on this a couple of years ago and, and finding out that a, a carpenter or a skilled craftsman's motto is measure twice, cut once. Do you remember that, Daryl? Measure twice, cut once. <laughs> but you measure and you measure and you make sure and then you cut because you only get one chance to cut. How many know that in life? <laughs> How many of you measure twice? I'm a like, do we need to measure? Let's cut this thing kind of person. And I married a measure twice, cut once guy. How many did that too, you know? Um, that's Joseph. Careful. Detailed. In the details. Checking the details. Making sure. And so we know this about him. What we also, well, tradition says that he was older than Mary, but that may not necessarily be so, because that's based on the fact that after Jesus turns 12, we don't hear about him again. So people feel that he was older and that he died and he was gone and Mary was a single mom for a long time. It's not necessarily so. It could be that he was just the typical marriage age, under 20, a young man who had a great reputation in his community for the things of God. We don't really know. Likely, he called God Elohim, which means God, or Adonai, which means Lord. No one used Yahweh, the covenant name of God, that was considered too sacred to say out loud properly or to write it out fully. But being faithful to the law, he would have known and been anxiously waiting for the Messiah. He would have been very aware that God had not spoken for 400 years and that every Jewish girl's dream was that her baby would become Messiah. That was the dream. What if God allowed me? 
Yes, he would have known that. But when, you know how it is you really believe stuff and then, and then it becomes your responsibility? It changes everything. Suddenly, his beloved fiance Mary comes and says, she's pregnant. And it's not his. So you know what he thought, what everybody thought. And then she has this gun barrel moment. It's God's. And his field of vision shrank. And all he could see was the gun barrel. She thinks it's God's. You see, the baby was supposed to become Messiah. But Mary was saying that the Messiah was going to become a baby. That's like upside down and inside out. And, you know, God could do something like that. Would he? And, and, and God is going to be the Messiah? And why has he come to us? Surely it would be someone of royal lineage uh, that was important. And, but we're lowly. We're just a nobodies. We're just a simple couple in love. And we're in the middle of the wondrous drama of a Jewish wedding. So let me talk about that for a minute. The, you know, when, when kids get engaged today, it's not a formal marriage covenant when they, you know, give that engagement ring. It, it can, can be fairly easily broken at that point, and it would be painful, but it, it could be broken, and there would be no ramifications. But not so with a Jewish wedding. The groom's father has had to go to the, to the, the bride's family and, and establish the covenant with them already. And there has been a payment for this bride. Thankfully, we don't do that anymore either. Um, but he has gone to the home. This is, this is official. This cannot just be broken privately. This is major. And then the groom returns to his father's house, and he begins to prepare the bridal chamber. Now, this takes about a year, quite a chamber. <laughs> and he's getting ready, and he's, he's in this dream stage, going to make it the best he ever could, and it's Mary. And she's coming someday to actually live with him. And when she comes, there's going to be a, a, a ritual of ceremonial cleansing, and there's going to be a private wedding ceremony. And then there's seven days of consummation during which they're left alone. And finally, the marriage feast will happen publicly. And, and Joseph and Mary are in that part where Joseph is getting ready for this. But, but something in the middle of this is happening. The bride is waiting, right? And apparently what would happen is the groom's father would decide when the groom could go get her. And so he would say to his son, okay, you ready? We're going to go. And then a shout would be given in the village where the bride was. And the bride would know, hey, he's coming. I've got to get ready. And she would pack her things, which should be ready by this time. And then she would be ready to go back to the bridal chamber. Oh, but there would be no shout for Mary. Oh, 
Joseph has decided. She must have cheated on him. He feels betrayed. He feels humiliated. He feels scared for her because he knows what the law says he must do. He's a keeper of the law. And Mary should be taken to a public court and shamed and stoned. He was going to lose his Mary. And she would be shamed. And so he goes into this intense time of considering, what are my options? And he, he comes up with two. <laughs> Fight or flight. And, and he doesn't know what to do with this impossible situation. He loves her, the life they've dreamed of. He doesn't want to disgrace her publicly. He would have measured twice, cut once. He would have looked at all the details. And then it says that he, he decided that he would put her away privately. So he went from the right choice by the law to the righteous choice of an individual that wants to do better than the law and yet put her away. So if he'd gone with the right choice, he, the father and the groom, they would have all gone and they would have got the money back from the other family and then she would have gone to court and been stoned. But to do it the way his righteous thought was, was to just go privately, let them keep the money, let her go and have her baby, let's not make this public. But do you see that either way he loses Mary? He loses all his dreams. He's shattered. There's a gun barrel in his face. There would be no shout for Mary. And then we have this gap, <laughs> right? And he's thinking, and he's thinking. And then the angel shows up. I'm like, why the gap? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to go through this? But his heart is now in a posture of listening. And when he hears the truth, he recognizes it. And then he receives it into his heart. He gets to keep Mary. Oh, everything else will change. He will, his reputation will be attached to her reputation. They will go on the road. This will not be the dream that they had. He's got a lot of letting go to do. But he recognizes this, and I want you to hear this today. Truth is his best option. God's perspective is his only option to fulfill his dreams. And do you know what we all long for? We long for intimacy. We long for belonging. We long to be family. And he gets to get all of those fulfilled in his heart. But it is a path of suffering and he must choose it knowing that it is God's truth and God's plan and what's really important in this moment is we read what he did that he he embraced the truth and he immediately went and he married her publicly uh, privately rather and he he took her as his wife but he did not consummate the marriage until after she gave birth. Here's the man faithful to the law. 
And he had heard, you see, that a virgin would not only conceive, but she would give birth. He was not going to add to the scandal. He was going to keep this as pure as it could be, no matter what people said. And he must have rejoiced in making sure that happened. I can see his face going, I get to do this part right. (laughs) Doubtless, he would have wanted to take her to himself. But he recognized the truth that this had to be God's baby. And he would make sure that he could say he had not uh, been unfaithful before the wedding night. Uh, the, The baby was born, rather. But why the gap? Why the gap? Why the gap? Why didn't God spare him the suffering? Why didn't God say, hey, I know you can't think this through right now. That was a gun barrel moment for you. I'm going to like just come in and tell you what to do. But you know, have you ever thought of the times when you've had delays in between something dramatic happening, something traumatic, and God actually giving you that answer and that peace and, and, and coming through in a way that you never knew he could? He, he, he proves himself to be something bigger and better than you ever knew. Remember the story when they were on the sea and the storm comes up and Jesus is asleep in the boat and they call out and they say, teacher, don't you care that we drown? And I could preach a whole sermon on that. Uh, but, and, and at the end of that, when he wakes up and says, peace be still, they're not calling him teacher anymore. They're saying, master. Master of the wind and the waves. Oh my goodness, the the delay made them realize he wasn't just a teacher. He was more than they were calling out for. He was master of the wind and the waves. And they obeyed him. And do you remember when Lazarus got sick, his best friend, and then he dies. And then the sisters call for him and it says, Jesus said, right, we wait four days. That part of the story gets me every time, doesn't it, you? He says, I've got to go in the fullness of time. And he waits four days and lets Lazarus die. And when they get there, Mary and Martha are like, excuse me, but if you had come, like when we called, you would have, you would have healed the sick. And he must have, he, it says he wept because he knew the pain they had been through. But he must have had this smile growing in his heart. <laughs> that finally reached his face when he said, oh, But I'm not just a healer. I am the resurrection and the life. And you know that up here. But I'm going to put it in here for you today. And you're going to see something. You're going to experience something that can never be taken away from you. Your name for me will no longer be healer. It will be resurrection. Master of life and death. Oh, the gaps are important. They bring us to the end of our own understanding. They bring us to a posture of listening where we're like, God, whatever is, are you doing here? Speak to me. And he comes. Doesn't he come to you? Doesn't he come and say, weary heart, I have a plan, three, four, I got a couple of plans here. And we're going to change your name. You're going to become part of the family, <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to change my name in your mind, and you are going to experience me in a way that you never have before. Do not despise the gaps and delays in your life.
God is behind the scenes preparing you for resurrection. Amen? I don't know if someone's in a gap right now or a delay. And, and, and you are waiting for God to fix it in the way he always did. And he's like, are you kidding me? I got way more really creative things to do here. I got something that's going to literally blow your mind. But you are going to have to take my hand and go with the plan. Don't despise this. It will be worth it. So that's all supposed to have come up there. And I will just press them through as we go to after. Or maybe you can press them for me. This is just not working up here. Thank you. Next one. Next one. <laughs> I'm behind. So the question is, if you could just keep going to the next question. What if Joseph had said no? I'm going with my rights and my righteousness thing here, God. It's always worked for me before. And you've always come through for me before when I did this. You allowed me to process and I got through it. What if he just said um, no? Well, what would he have missed out on? He would have missed getting to know God better. He would have missed moving from calling him Elohim and Adonai to Emmanuel, God with us. God with, not just us, but Mary and me. Wow. He would have missed this moment of holding the Savior. He would have missed becoming part of the family, the literal earthly family of God's own son. He would have missed, actually, the next two or three angels that did show up early this time. It was like, finally, God trusted him, and he trusted God, and God said, okay, the angels will come early now. This is good. He would have missed all of that. And you see, when they show up, uh, and we can go to the next slide, I believe, it, it, it's, he he it says, you take Mary to be your wife. Trust me on this. That's in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, an angel shows up again and says, take the child and his mother to Egypt. Herod wants to kill him. And so the prophecy is fulfilled out of Egypt. I have called my son. Joseph would have missed being part of the prophecies being fulfilled. He could have short-circuited the whole plan. I, uh, somebody called their sermon, it's a little bit sensational, the man who saved Christmas. But if you think about it, Joseph really was crucial to this plan because God now is using Joseph to keep his son safe from all the enemies that are out there. And then in chapter 219, now take the child and his mother back to Israel. Herod is dead. And then he's warned again in a dream. I'm not sure if it's an angel or no angel, but God comes and says, no, don't go to Judea. Herod's son is evil too. And so he goes to Nazareth, not Bethlehem. And Matthew says this fulfills another prophecy saying that he will be called a Nazarene. Joseph would have missed the whole thing. Hmm. Being part of the eternal story, being part of the prophecies, he wouldn't have been able to rejoice at seeing God accomplish his will. In, Christ of all, in spite of all the crazy curves their story would take, he went from being keeper of the law to member of the family. 
So I want to ask you as we bring this to a close. It's a Q&A. It's my Canadian attempt at humor. <laughs> I put this up in Slovakia and nobody laughs. They're like, what? What is she trying to say, eh? Um, but it's so fun to be in Canada today. <laughs> so I want to ask you, what's limiting your field of vision? What happened to your focus? Have you had a gun barrel moment this year? I mean, COVID was a gun barrel moment, wasn't it, for all of us? And I was deeply moved last week as I watched the memorial service here for all those that we have lost in this church. Those are gun barrel moments, death. There's also death of dreams, like Joseph was facing. There's somebody saying no to you. There's, there's a loss of a job. There's somebody just offending you deeply in your family or something. There's that moment where God and everybody seems to be saying no. And you want to scream, it must be yes. And they're saying no. And, and, and you've got to forgive and you've got to let go and you've got to choose a path of suffering sometimes, of surrender of your plans and your dreams and it's not fair. And I have two friends this week that got really, really bad news from the doctor. Without a miracle, it's, there's no hope. It's a gun barrel moment. And, and I want to ask you this morning, can you accept God's truth as your best option? Can you come before him this morning and say, your perspective is the best truth. It's the only truth, actually. Help me to be in a listening posture and to accept your perspective. And I think this morning it's going to involve laying down some misconceptions about people and our false assumptions about others. I think it's going to be laying down some grudges that we've carried through this crazy COVID season, haven't we? Haven't we picked up enough stuff? And God's saying this morning, no to that stuff. Maybe it means forgiving someone. Maybe it means embracing suffering. I don't know what it means for you. But the time is now to let it go and to accept that God knows what he's doing. That he not only has an expansive, expensive, elaborate, incredible plan, but he wants to use you in it. <laughs> Imagine. Some of us are saying, oh, you know, I just live such a boring life. No, no, you don't have to. You can live an exciting life if you accept God's truth this morning. So here's our takeaways. And I just want you to remember that delays are name changers. And your name for God is about to change if you will let go. And you are going to know him in such a way that you will, you will, it will be worth it all. If you lay down your rights and your righteousness, you will join the meta-narrative of salvation. 
and we're full of our rights. And yes, we have rights. And we're full of our righteousness. And I can think this through. And I've read all the stuff. And I, and I know I've researched. I hear this a lot. I've researched. But have you spent time with God? Have you listened to his word? Have you read his word? Have you soaked in his presence? Have you worshipped him this week? Have you walked in nature and seen the majesty of that silent creation? I watched as God did a makeover on creation this week, didn't you? You know, one minute it's green and cold and, 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 and gray, and the next minute it's white and stunning and beautiful. Of course, I don't shovel snow, so, you know, I get to say that right now. My husband's looking at me like, yeah, it's easy for you to say. But, you know, the makeover of this silent creation, it's just stunning. And I was like, God... You are amazing how you can change the scene just like that. And he can change the scene in your life just like that if you'll let go of your rights and your righteousness and say you're right, God, and your righteousness and your plan and your truth and your way. And this is the way we will find intimacy and fulfillment and belonging so now is the time to say yes to God's no's. <laughs> Can you? I don't know what he said no to you recently about, or he's gone quiet, or he's just, he's in the wings waiting for you to call out with what you know about him, and then he's going to say, surprise, I'm so much bigger than that. And you need to know this, and your heart is longing to experience this. Let me take your hand. Let me take you to a greater revelation of me than you've ever had before. Because, because friends, last point, <laughs> the shout is coming for us, from our bridegroom. You see, Jesus came, and he betrothed himself to us. He died on the cross. He showed his love. He was, he was raised from the dead, and he ascended. And what did he say? I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might also come. You're my bride. We have established the marriage covenant already. Do you understand that? We're in the same place Joseph and Mary were in their story. And Jesus is preparing a place for us. And it says the Father is the one who knows when the time is right. And he's going to say, son, go get your bride. That's where we are, folks. We're in the story. And the shout is coming. Will you hear it? Will you know it's for you? Will you be ready? Because Jesus is preparing the bridal chamber and the marriage feast of the Lamb. I think it's being set place by place right now, don't you? I don't know when he's coming back, but that's the point. The bride didn't know. She was waiting for the shout. Let's not miss the shout. It will come for those who are ready. Will you join the meta-narrative of salvation this morning? When you join it, you fulfill your destiny and you enable others to fulfill theirs. It's not just a single solo journey. Do you get that? We are connected so deeply, are we are rooted together and established in him. We're meant to do this together. Let us purpose that no one in this room or on Zoom right now or listening to this will miss the shout.
and be ready for the bridegroom this Christmas. Would you stand and let me pray with you? Now is the time to surrender, to make things right with each other. And I promise you, on the word of God, that your deepest longings will be fulfilled in your heart if you surrender and begin listening for the shout. Father God, Joseph could have missed all of that if he'd hung on to his resentment and grudges and allowed that gun barrel moment to just limit his vision. Thank you for the angel that came. Thank you for Joseph's surrendered heart. Thank you that he allowed you to broaden his focus and widen his vision. Thank you that his heart received your truth and rejoiced in it. And my prayer this morning for us, church, is that we would do the same this Christmas. Father, speak to us as a church. Thank you for the word earlier that the call has not changed. That we need to repent. We need to lay down our rights and our righteousnesses. And we need to accept that it's your righteousness alone. Your plan alone. Your name alone that will bring what the world needs and what our hearts so desperately desire. Bless us today, Father, with your truth. And may your spirit continue to to take this word and break it and, 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 and use it in every single heart here today. And may this day not pass before we surrender to the meta-narrative of salvation and be found as your family this morning. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.